that was wonderful. Great time of worship. Really appreciate that. Thank you to the worship team. And uh, this morning we want to begin to touch on our new series. Really excited uh, for the series. It's over probably the next two weeks. And it's called Worth It. Worth It. Treasures Worth Pursuing. Treasures Worth Pursuing. You know, we are living in challenging times right now. Uh, this is not a bullish season. Uh, people are losing their jobs. Um, I've seen that. I've had to sit with folks who have lost their jobs. The people are feeling very frustrated in the season. Uh, COVID, we have so many restrictions, uh, the masks and all the difficulties that surround that. Um, you know, people are being evicted. Um, I've uh, sat with people who have lost their jobs. They were part of big sales teams, and now there's only one or two people left behind. And um, So this is a tough season for many people. For others who have been sitting at home, we're not sure what to do. Um, we have so much free time on our hands now. What do we do? How do we go about things? What's important? What's not important? And we have to begin in this season to fine-tune what's of great value to us. Where do we invest our time and effort? Uh, what treasures are worth pursuing? And so I want to start off with a question. What causes something to be of worth? What causes something to be worth it? What gives something or someone value? And perhaps we can answer this um, by looking at four conditions that I believe are important and uh, that bring worth. The first is what we call sacrifice. Sacrifice, uh, I would make the statement, a child is most valuable to its mother because she birthed it. She sacrificed. Uh, her body changed over nine months. Uh, you know, she had to change the way she ate. and um, Things were happening to her that she would, would not normally happen to her. It was a struggle. It wasn't easy. It was difficult. And when the day of the birth came, she would experience incredible pain. There would be great sacrifice that she would go through. But when that child is birthed, that child is most valuable to her. Sacrifice can create worth. Cost can create worth. A business or a company is most valuable to its founder because he invested in that business. He invested money in that business. He invested money in the partnership. He bought stock. And because of the cost and the amount of money and effort that he has put into that, it is of great value to him. I uh, owned a guitar that was a couple of thousand dollars, um, probably in South African terms about 80 or 90,000 rand, uh, if one was to buy it today. And um, you can be sure, because I invested that amount of money, that I looked after that guitar. It was my pride and my joy. But the other thing is age. Age also is an issue of value, a condition of value. Vintage, retro, we think of the, something that's authentic, the real thing. I was just reading the other day, Qing Dynasty vase, a, a vase that was auctioned off in the UK, sold for something like $80.2 million. It came from the 17th century. Something of great value because of its age. Antiques are of something of great value. Wine can be viewed in the same way. Paintings that we would get. You want the original. It's not a knockoff that you're interested in. No, you're, you're interested in the authentic, the original. And so age can bring about something of worth. 
And the final thing, the fourth thing, is our response. A person dresses up when he's about to meet his hero. His actions express his value. We tend to clean up the house if we know someone important is coming by. We're going to clean up the house and make sure that everything looks good and everything's in its place and that most things are clean and tidy. Why? Because we value that person. So our actions actually express value. Socrates argued that pleasure, which was the highest form of value, is better when accompanied by intelligence. In other words, he was saying, be responsible about your pleasure. Our response is important. Jesus argued in Matthew 13 verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found. So he found it in the field. It said then he covered it up again. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has to buy that field. It's interesting that here's a man who finds treasure and he could have just stolen the treasure. Who would have known? But to steal the treasure would be to devalue the treasure. It is greater, if a treasure is of greatest value, then it is worth the full price. And so he leaves it there and he goes and he sells all that he has, everything that he has. Even if what he has was greater than the value of the field, he will invest it in the field just so that he can get to the treasure. You see, our response communicates much about value. And so it's with this in mind, I want us to look at our at our scripture, our portion of passage and scripture, rather, in John 15, verses 1 to 11. And won't you turn there if you've got your Bibles, and let's read it together. So chapter 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vineyard, the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit, Already you are clean, he says, because you, because of the word that I have spoken to you, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, he says, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it. That bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. For anyone does not, anyone, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and, that, and withers. And the branches are gathered together and thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Such an incredible passage 
that captures so much. And I think that the key verse is found in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I want us to look at this a little bit closer. And two words that I really want us to concentrate on is this word abide. We see it regularly used throughout chapter 15. And then I want us just to look at when he says, and my words abide in you, my words. Let's look at this word abide. The word abide means to tarry, to wait for, to endure, to continue to be present, to remain as one, not to become different. It's interesting. To remain as one, not to become different. In other words, it works naturally. It's not by self-works. It works naturally. In John 1 verses 1 Jesus is introduced to us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word used here is the word called logos. It is the written word. But here in John 15, he introduces this word that he uses as the rhema word. And so he's, he's looking at this thing a little deeply We're beginning to look perhaps a little deeper. John is taking us on this mission. And he's saying, I want you to be connected to the word directly, not indirectly. One of the things is he wants us to abide in him. He says, you abide in me. You initiate this. You seek me out with all your heart, soul, and mind. You are the initiator. You are the one that God has called. He says, if you search me, you would find me, for I was never far from you. How you are the one. But he's asking us to come to him directly. He's asking us to read his word directly. And this is not a secondhand revelation. I think we have many secondhand revelations around us. God's wanting us to, he wanting to speak to us directly. In in John 8 verse 31. So Jesus was saying to to those Jews who had, believed in him if you continue it's the same word as this abide if you continue in my word the bible my word then you are truly disciples of mine it would seem that it's very important for us to connect to the word of god directly he says he carries on verse 32 and he says and you know the truth and the truth will make you free are you found feeling bound? Are you feeling like you're under the, the whip, as it were? He says, spend some time in my word. And in verse 8 of chapter 15 of John, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He's talking about the word of God. Fruit doesn't come from self-effort. It's the natural flow of the supernatural outworking of our connectedness to the Word, to our reading of the Word. I always think of this, you know, sometimes we, we're trying to create fruit. I want to try force fruit out. You can't force fruit out. A tree doesn't force something out. It naturally produces what's within it to produce. And so it is, as we connect to the vine, we find that we naturally produce the fruit that comes from that vine. But for us to understand the context 
of um, or understand what the scripture is really talking about, we've got to look at the context. The scene set is a scene of a gardener, a vine with a garden, and there's a gardener. God is the gardener. Jesus is the vine. And for us to really comprehend this, we perhaps need to look at what it means to be grafted into something. Now, good gardeners know about grafting. And I want us just to look at this thing of being grafted into something. You might read about it in Romans 11, verse 17 onwards. But there is a grafting where you take a branch and you would graft it into the main root tree. The root tree is connected. And what they would do is they would cut into the tree and create a little slit that opens up. It would be a clean cut. And they would take the branch and... In essence, the branch by itself, if it was left, would just simply die. But they would cut the edge of the branch so it has a clean edge. And they would take that branch and they would slot it into this little slit. And then they would bind it together. And face would be kept to face. And as long as face was kept close to face and was bound together quite snugly and closely, the sap from the root tree would then be pulled into the branch and the branch would find life. We need to understand this in the context of that. This picture, the cutting, the placing into, and the binding together. So, if we understand cutting, we would understand something of perhaps the pruning of life. Romans, 8, Romans 2 verses 28 to 29. But a Jew is not one inwardly. The circumcision... A Jew is one inwardly, rather. He was talking about the Jewish people, and he's saying, you, know, you, you think you're a Jew because you're circumcised outwardly. But he says, I'm not interested in that. A Jew is one who is inwardly. The circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. We are, there's a cutting away, there's a slithering away, cutting away from the earth, from the world and the worldly circumstances. And that's what happens when the Spirit is allowed to circumcise our heart. And he uses the word to do this. And so we are cut, and then we are placed into, we are grafted into, we're in Christ. The connectedness to the vine. Life comes from the root tree. As we stay connected. And so these, the words is used as we are bound together. We, are, we knit our hearts together. We are bound together by something. And the Bible says this in verse 9. He says, abide in my love. In Colossians 3 verse 14, the statement is made. He says, and above all else put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love binds it together. Another verse uh, or another version says, clothe yourself in love. Love is what holds you all together in perfect unity. Another version says, which ties everything together and makes it complete. Another says, wrap yourself in love. Wrap yourself in love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And yet another says, um, every, everything is bound together in agreement when each one seeks the best of others. There is just something about us being grafted into the life of Christ. And so this word abide, 
is a strong word. It means to continue, presently continue in the word of God. We think of Jesus Christ. We think of him. He, we were created in his image. It says body, soul, and spirit. We know that, there, that Christ has a body. He's called the body of Christ, the church of God. We know that he is a spirit, the Holy Spirit. But we also know that he is a, a soul. He is a mind, will, and emotions. So many of us will understand his mind and say, yes, his mind is what we want to comprehend. It's the word of God. We, we dig into the word and we understand something of the mind of Christ. We need his spirit to show us the deep things of the mind of Christ. But we never really connect with the emotion. Christ's emotion. We see words on a, on a, you know, in the Bible and we just read them like they're principles and concepts. But there is an emotion behind these words. And so when you look at verse 7, it says, um, it speaks about us. If we abide, you abide in me and my words abide in you. You know, this my it speaks of his words, his words alone. It's not speaking about the many books that we should read out in the marketplace. The great words of people who have interpreted the Bible in different ways. He says, my words. This is very particular. God's words. His words directly. It's ownership. He's saying, stop learning from secondhand revelation. Come to me directly. I have the word particularly for you. And then that word, the words, words is made up of two parts. One has to do with the inflictions of the word, which is, has something to do with God's voice, his mood, his tense, his pitch, his loudness. We never seem to look beyond the surface when he says, I love you. What does that mean? What is his tense? What is his mood? You know, voice has temperament. It has, it has passion. It could express something of the compassion of somebody. How would we know that? Well, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 to 10 says this. His spirit reveals the deep things of God. It is the Holy Spirit in us that reveals the deep things of God. He illuminates this word and gives us an understanding of the deeper things of God. Well, if what I read here and I understand on the surface as I read these words are just surface. They're the word of God, but they surface. But what's deeper? I want to know what's deeper. And he says both logos, the written word, and rhema, which is the word used here, is of great value. And so John 10 verse 27 says this, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. To know his voice is to know his temperament, is to know when he's angry, when he's strong. It is to know when he's gentle, when he's kind. When he's, he, there is a tense and there is a pitch and there is a mood to the Lord. And God wants us to dig in deep into his word, to go beyond, to go deep, go beyond the surface, to seek out the deeper things of God's word. Acts 13 verse 22, speaking of David, he says, David was the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. He knew the heart of the father. You see, Rhema is, is about the voice of God. What is God's voice saying to you? What is he speaking through scripture? It is a reflection of emotions in the hearts, not just principles and concepts and methods. And so my challenge this morning 
is for us to dig deep. We have to look at this thing. Why is the word worth reading and studying? Well, one, because of sacrifice. Jesus paid the full price. Jesus died on the cross so that I might have the opportunity to read, to know him deeper. Many others have sacrificed so that this Bible can be given to me today. This Bible can be on my shelf. There's a sacrifice that is gone so that these words can be printed upon this, this leather-bound, in this leather-bound book. People have sacrificed so that I can have this. I want to say that there's a cost. The great cost. Information is very common. We can get it anywhere, anywhere on the internet. But God's wisdom doesn't come cheap. And sometimes I wonder why people are not willing to pay the full price for the wisdom of God. We want it cheaply. Now just give it to me. I've seen, I've, I've cleaned houses in the U.S. Where one particular house, there was something like 10 Bibles. And yet the guy was a drug addict. He was an alcoholic. And I wondered to myself, you have 10 Bibles. It's, it's too common. There's no value in it. You want the wisdom of God. There's a cost. My wife bought me this Bible. And I can, I can assure you that it costs a lot of money. But it's worth it. Because I want the wisdom of God. 2 Samuel 24, 22 uh, to 24. David buys the land for the full price. David goes and he's wanting to buy a land that he was going to build a temple on. And the guy who owns the land says to him, you can have it for whatever price you want. You can have it cheap. I'll give it to you. And he says, no, I want to pay the full price. In Acts 20, verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is the book, the word of his grace. Is able to build us up. And many times we are relying on the words of other men. Let other preachers, myself included, we need to rely on reading the word of God. It is the greatest treasure that there is. There's an authenticity about this word. Every Christian book that I've ever read makes reference to one book and one book alone, the Bible. Why? Because this has history behind it. This is aged. This Bible, and I mean aged from the point of view that it's authentic. It carries the real life. From the beginning of time, this Bible, many have tried to prove and disprove it. And they found themselves coming to the reality of it. There is something about it. Jeremiah 6.16 says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the road and look and ask for the ancient paths where, where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. God is taking us to a place where he's saying, look for the ancient ways. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed and neither has his word. And the final thing is our response. Our response is what brings value to something. It is how we responsibly act towards it. 
Matthew 8, verse 19 says, Go, therefore, into and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Our response is not simply to read and to understand, but to take it and to teach others how to honor every word in this Bible. It is the command of God. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, it carries life and essence and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training and righteousness that a man of God may be complete. There's that word. Equipped for every good work. This word must firstly impact your life and mine before it impacts another. And the only way that it's going to do that is when we read it. Is when we spend time reading it. Don't be caught up in notifications. I think that devotions might be quite helpful, but I do want to say to you that God has called us to read chunks of this word of God. It's what brings life. What Christian are you? Are you a carnal Christian? Or are you a spiritual one? One with depth. What do you, or what does your fruit look like? What does your treasure look like? What is your response to the word of God? Can I end off by reading the scripture? Philippians 2 verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Think of where we are. He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Can I encourage you? Hold firmly to the word of life. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I just pray by your spirit that where we have not spent the, the time invested in the treasures of heaven by reading your word, that we would make it of most importance in our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would not rely on others for our own spirituality, but we rely directly on you. I ask, Father, that your word would become life and hope to us. I ask that your word become real, strong, will be evident in our lives. That we wouldn't mention so-and-so says and so-and-so says. We would say, the word of God says. The word of God says. And even as you suffered, Jesus, when you Went through the wilderness, you said, these are the words of God, and I will stand by them. I pray that we would become your people in these last days that capture your word and stand by your word wholeheartedly, completely, and be willing to pay the full price. I ask, Father, for your conviction in our lives by your spirit. Lead us and guide us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you. I trust you have a wonderful morning and hope to see you all really soon.